What's happening, everybody, and welcome to Ron Uncut Podcast. My name is Mackenzie Curvett Statham, and I will be your host today. Thank you for checking in on the first of many Raw and Uncut episodes. Today we're going to be talking about the Warriors, the unforgotten star in the NBA, the Ben Simmons academics, Peyton Manning's legacy, and of course, got to start it off with your boy, Conor McGregor. Alright y'all, let's talk about Conor McGregor, the latest victim of the Jordan meme crying face on social media. Now this past weekend, he lost to Nate Diaz. But I'm not here to talk about Nate Diaz and how he won or to talk about Conor McGregor and how he lost. Because being frank, I don't watch UFC like that. If I go to a bar or something, I might watch it. But I refuse to pay money for something that could end in six seconds. And I feel like I just lost my money on something that was six seconds. But what I am here to talk to y'all today about is how the UFC is ahead of the game as far as making their stars get out there and show their personality and why I feel like more sports organizations need to do that. UFC recent stars have been Ronda Rousey and Conor McGregor. And why do people love them or hate them so much? Is because they have a personality. You have Ronda Rousey trademarking tap out bitch or whatever the statement was. You have Conor McGregor who is just witty as all get out when he's on stage talking about his opponents. And what does it do? It makes you have some type of feeling about them. So most people are going to buy the fight to either see them A, hope they win, or B, hope they lose so that they can talk about it on social media, talk about it to their friends who possibly likes that person, or talk to a person who both hate, who another person who hates them so that they can have something to talk about. But you know what the UFC is doing? They're taking from what WWE did and with Vince McMahon. Now I'm 25 years old. I grew up on wwe wwf all that i'm not ashamed of it i loved it i used to stay with my dad and watch that for hours we would spend 60 bucks on the you know championship ones that'd be on pay-per-view and all that and even though as i got older i just noticed how much of a sleazeball vince mcmahon is and how he's all about the money the one thing that i will give him credit for is he is a marketing genius he would take his wrestlers and make them have a personality I mean, growing up, my favorites were The Rock, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Shawn Michaels, and of course, one of everybody's favorites, Ric Flair. I mean, how could you not love the nature boy? You're talking to the Rolex wearing, diamond ring wearing, kiss stealing, woo, wheeling, dealing, limousine riding, jet flying, son of a gun, and I'm having a hard time holding these alligators down. But if you think about it, why did we love them so much? We loved them or hated them because of their personality. And the UFC is doing that. It's making their biggest stars who have a name have a personality in front of everybody so that people want to go see them. Now, the NFL and NBA, baseball, and other other organizations don't want their players to have that type of openness because they feel like it's a bad thing for their brand or it makes them look bad. When in actuality, no one cares. NFL has a movie come out about concussions where it clearly shows that they knew things about how bad concussions were and didn't do a thing about it. So why not let your players have a great personality and be out there? It's not going to hurt you. 
at best, it will keep, at worst, I mean, it will keep you at bay. At best, all of a sudden, people want to watch it because they hate someone or love someone. I mean, look at Cam Newton. Cam Newton was not saying things in the news that was that big of a deal. What was he doing, though? He was being honest, and on top of that, he was being himself on the field, and people either loved it or hated it, but it made you want to watch him, no matter what. And that's what I think that more sports need to do, especially a sport like baseball that is struggling to have the new millennials watch the sport. Old-timers are starting to die out, unfortunately. Sorry for y'all. But they are also starting to do things that are, how can I say this? They're trying to make the sport better. The baseball is hoping to make their sport better. When in actuality, there's no way to make baseball better. They have to do one or two things. Either they have to bring steroids back in the game and make it more entertaining, which in that, which is another story for me because I think steroids should be in the game because you're having guys play 180-plus games and expect their natural body to be able to handle that type of pounding. That's another story. But if they don't want to bring steroids into the game and have it being more runs, what they have to do is is they have to figure out a way to make people want to watch it. And the only other way I can think of it was to be have your stars of today, your Bryce Harpers, your Mike Trouts, your John Carlos Stantons, all those guys to have a personality. Now I'm not saying make them do things that they're not used to, but if a guy is a loud talker or likes to be very open and, you know, says whatever is on his mind, let him do that. Don't try to take it away from them. Make them have their personality to the fans and to the media because then what's that do? It makes us want to watch them. It makes us want to check up on them. Maybe we don't like the way they handle themselves. I mean, hell, look at the way Bryce Harper had that one thing where he said, that's a clown question, bro. And next thing you know, everyone had the little clown question, bro. People were booing him. People were hating him, whatever. And people wanted to check check in on him, whether it was to hope that he would crush a home run or if it was to hope that, you know, he would strike out and look like a fool, we wanted to check in on it. And that's what I'm saying, that UFC has the head of a game on that everyone else doesn't notice. Everyone else is still hoping that, you know, we're going to keep it very blah. We hope that everyone is, you know, socially correct. They don't want anyone to ruffle any feathers. Where the UFC is like, you know, this is a fighting sport, which is easy for them because you can't really ruffle feathers if you're, watching the sport and hoping that it's a good that it's not going to be uh how can i say this that that's going to be a fight where it's nothing but submissions you want to everyone watches the fight why they want to see some big knockout you know someone get punched in the face really hard bleeding whatever so it's easier for them but you know just imagine if steph curry was out here instead of just on the court doing his dances in the media talking you know cash shit about everyone else out there you know making fun of not making fun of people but you know coming witty with jokes like Muhammad Ali used to do back in the day where he was going to say how badly he would beat his opponent but it was in such a witty way that you couldn't feel disrespected all you could do was really laugh imagine if Steph Curry started doing that or if Kobe Bryant who's got one of the most you know I don't give a fuck attitudes as he gets older imagine if he did that in the media from day one how much fun it would have been or if Michael Jordan who is the best player of all time to many people was able to speak his mind and not try to be so, you know, cr- publicly correct so that he wouldn't hurt his brand of shoes and all that. And just think about how much better sports would be because you would love them for who they truly are and you would get a feel of what kind of person they are and on the field at least 
and off the field. Now, as I talked about uh, Conor McGregor and all their uh, marketing and how well he's done it and how well the UFC has done it, let's transition and talk about some Warriors real quick. As you know, the Warriors are on pace to break the Bulls' record of 72 wins. But I'm not here to talk about how great they are because they are great. I mean, honestly, they're the second most dominant team I've ever seen. Personally, I think the most dominant team I've ever seen was the Lakers back when they had Shaq and Kobe. The year that they played Allen Iverson in the finals where they only lost one game throughout the playoffs. Now it's two Allen Iversons, um, 76ers. But I'm here more to talk about how the Warriors have made people believe that a lot of these players are better than they are and have a lot of people out here thinking that Steph Curry isn't making these players better. Klay Thompson is a top five player at his position and also a top five player as being playing as playing both sides. Now I don't want people to think that I'm hating on Klay Thompson or truly think that I don't think that he's good because I do. I think he is a very talented player and he caused a lot of mismatch problems for teams that end up playing the Warriors because he is six foot seven and can stretch the floor. But we have seen many players who are just like Klay Thompson. But the same as um, Steve Nash used to make players for the Suns look better. Um, Steph Curry is doing that for all his other players. I mean, Klay Thompson is nothing more than just a shooter and a really good defender, and there's plenty of those in the NBA. But for how good of a shooter he is and for how good Steph Curry makes his other players look, he is magnified, and it looks like he's even better than he really is. And the king of being better than what he really is is Draymond Green. Now, I wrote a review in one of my blogs. Um, I write blogs every year around draft time, and the name of that blog is Jab and Attack Blog Basketball, if you would like to look at it. But um, I wrote when they drafted Harrison Barnes, Festus Azili, and Draymond Green that I thought Draymond Green would be one of the steals of the draft because he's a player who can do it all, rebound, can uh, score the ball, really good defender, and everybody from Michigan State is already tough when they come into the league. But Draymond Green has gone from a player who I thought would be a starter for them eventually and be a contributor to people thinking that he should be a top 10 player. I saw some lists on ESPN where uh, a couple people didn't have Draymond Green on there and a couple other people were saying that he deserved to be on there and this, that, and the third. Now, Draymond Green is a really good rebounder and a very good passer to be power forward and he creates mismatch problems and he's one of the best defenders in the league, not going to take that away from him. But my friend and I, my friends and I watched him, and besides a few of my friends, we all noticed that he's not a good shooter. I mean, he, sure, you can knock down a three every blue moon, but he's not a stretch four. I mean, you can throw these percentages at me, but I've always felt to beat the Warriors, you have to make Draymond Green become a scorer because Steph Curry's going to get his, Clay Thompson's going to get his. And the only way to beat them is to try to keep them from getting theirs by making Draymond score more. Because once he scores more, that means the ball is less in Klay Thompson's hand and less in Steph Curry's hands. But for some reason, everybody and their mama thinks that 
Um, Draymond Green is just this great player who you could start a team with. I mean, if you're talking about a top 10 player in the league right now, I expect that player to be able to take his team and make them a playoff contender. And I'm sorry, Draymond Green's not that. I mean, Draymond Green does a lot for his team, but if you literally take him and put him on another team like the Detroit Pistons or, hell, even like the Oklahoma City Thunder, he doesn't produce nearly the same stats that he is now because, I mean, he's surrounded by two of the best shooters of all time and the best shooter of all time. And the reason that the Warriors are so good is because of their offense. I mean... If you know basketball, you know that in the 90s, it was very much your best player versus my best player. I mean, Michael Jordan gets the ball on the block. Patrick Ewing catches it on the post. Kim Lajuan catches it on the post. And you go to work. And basically, your best player versus my best player. And that was determined who would win the game pretty much. Now, thanks in part to the Spurs, um, the ball movements become crucial to the game. I mean, yeah, they still do a lot of pick and rolls. But... It's a lot more pass, cut, pass the ball on the move into a pick and roll. It's a lot more movement, which is beautiful basketball. But the Warriors have the perfect system for their players. I mean, Steph Curry is the best player in the world. Not going to take that away from him. At the moment, he is the best player in the world. So he helps the offense even more. But, I mean, you have him with the ball in his hands. You have great offense, and then you have Draymond Green, who's one of the best passing fours in basketball. Then you have Klay Thompson, who's one of the best shooters of all time. I mean, it just makes for mismatches everywhere. And on top of that, you have to not only worry about those guys catching the ball and making plays, but now you have to worry about the ball movement and having to chase your players. I mean, it's a nightmare for other teams to prepare for, and that's why they are where they are right now. But... I think the offense doesn't get enough credit for how good they are because I feel like you could transition some players from other teams to the Warriors and the Warriors wouldn't miss a beat. And on that note of not miss a beat, I'm going to talk about how the forgotten star of the league could be transitioned to the Warriors and the Warriors would not miss Steph Curry one bit because I believe that he is that good and doesn't get nearly the credit that he deserves. And that person is Damian Lillard. 34.3 points per game. 5.3 assists per game. And 3.7 rebounds per game. That boy is good. If you're wondering what I'm reading right now, it's just the stats that Damian Lillard is averaging right now since the All-Star break where he was snubbed from making the All-Star team. Now, I know most of y'all are thinking that, yeah, Damian Lillard is a star, and we all know this, but the way the media treats him and the way that people are so quick to talk about the usual Steph Currys, the Chris Pauls, LeBron Jameses of the world, that you would be compelled to believe that there isn't that many stars in the league of that caliber, when in actuality, Damian Lillard is that type of star. Right now, Damian Lillard is averaging, for the season, 26.1 points per game, 6.9 assists, and 4.3 boards. Steph Curry, who everybody conceives right now, and myself included, is the best player in the world, averages 30.4 points per game, 6.6 assists per game, and 5.4 boards per game. And that's the best player in the world, but yet Damian Lillard doesn't get half the love, no one talks about him, gets snubbed from the All-Star game, And you're made to believe that he's just a good player 
when I truly believe that he's a top 10 player in the league right now. Actually, I'd probably have him in my top five at the current moment, being that Blake Griffin isn't playing, Jimmy Butler isn't playing, and a lot of other players who are injured. I mean, Damian Lillard has them right now as a seven seed in the West, by far the hardest conference with the Thunder, the Spurs, the Warriors, of course, all those great teams. He has them in the seventh seed right now with a team full of pretty much nobodies besides C.J. McCollum. Um, Aminu has bounced around left and right from team to team and has pretty much been a bust as far as being a draft pick because he was taken so high. That's their small forward. Now, I'll say C.J. McCollum is a very good player, so I won't take anything away from him at the shooting guard. Their power forward is Noah Vonley, who is looking like he's going to be a bust. I won't call him a bust already, but he's looking that way. I try to give players four to five years before I call them a bust, but he is looking like a bust. He doesn't do anything for them, really. He just starts and pretty much comes out the game right away. Their center is the Plumley brother, who is the best Plumley, uh, Marshall Plumley. Or not Marshall, it's uh, Mason Plumley, But he's nothing special. I mean, he's a really good athlete and a pretty good defender. But besides that, he is just your average NBA center. And then coming off the bench, you have Gerald Henderson. You go Myers Leonard is uh, one of their backup forwards who has um, shown that he can be good and is a good stretch player, can shoot the three and whatnot, but overall isn't anything special. Ed Davis, who is a rebounding freak, but for some reason never seems to pan out and be exactly what teams expect him to be. And then you go Alan Crabb, who's a very good shooter, but besides that isn't anything special. And that team right now is the seventh seed in the Western Conference um, in the NBA. And pretty much besides C.J. McCollum and Damian Lillard, I mean, no one on that team ever puts any type of fear in you because they don't have any talent and actually in actuality they're tied for six seed so they're actually the sixth seed in the west right now um they're ahead of the rockets who has james harden dwight howard two superstars supposedly and trevor reza who's a very good role player and then they're ahead of the dallas mavericks who dirk Nowinski, one of the greatest of all times getting older but very good still darren williams who's shown glimpses this year that he can still be very good um, they're ahead of the Pelicans, who, yeah, injuries and whatnot, but Anthony Davis, everyone loves to hype up and talk about how he's the future, how he's the next MVP, how he has all these accolades that are going to be contributed with him, but he doesn't get held to the same standard as I feel superstars should because I've always said that if you're a superstar, if you put four blind men on your team and you have that one superstar, they should be able to be a playoff contender. Not saying they're going to make the playoffs, but they should be close to making the playoffs. And that's exactly what pretty much Damian Lillard doing. I mean, now, like I said, CJ McCollum is a very talented scorer, but he's only been doing it for one year because this is his first true chance to shine. And yeah, he's showing that he has talent. He's showing that he can score, but he's an undersized two. I mean, he's a scorer too. I mean, he's kind of like a Monte Ellis almost type of player where he's undersized, very athletic, and gives up a lot on the defensive end, but gives so much on the offensive end that you live with um, what happens. But I think that Damian Lillard makes him even better because they worry so much about Dame Dollar, as I like to call him, his rap name, that he gets good looks and he's not double teamed or given the same pressure that um, Damian Lillard's given. I mean, since the All-Star game, he's had a 51-point game, a 50-point game, a 41-point game. I mean, hell, he's only had one, two. He's had two games 
since the All-Star break of under 30 points. And yet no one talks about him. No one gives him the credit he's deserved. I mean, you hear everybody talk about Steph Curry, MVP, Steph Curry, this, Steph Curry, that. And yeah, he deserves all he's getting because he's on the best team and he's by far the best player. But Damian Lillard is taking a team that is full of pretty much no ones that nobody wanted on their team and pretty much gave away to the Trailblazers this year for pretty much nothing, and yet he's making them playoff contenders. Now, my question to you is, is do you really think that if you took away Damian Lillard and you put Steph Curry on the team and you put Damian Lillard on the Warriors, would it be would the Warriors be any worse and would the Trailblazers be any better with Steph Curry? Because if you truly think that adding Steph Curry to the um, Trailblazers would make them like, what, a top five seed or something, then you're fooling yourself. And if you think that if you add Damian Lillard to uh, the Warriors that they still wouldn't be on pace to be one of the best teams of all time, you're fooling yourself. Because Steph Curry is playing with very good players around him and a very good system where Damian Lillard is really playing with one guy who can pretty much score for himself and then everything else is pretty much him. I mean, he's almost, to an extent, Allen Iverson of back in his day because, I mean, Allen Iverson's teams that made it to the finals, it was pretty much Allen Iverson, Eric Snow, George Lynch, Dikembe Mutombo, and their best guy who could score besides them is pretty much like Aaron McKee. And none of those guys put fear in you, but Allen Iverson was so talented that he pretty much put him on his back and got him there, and that's what Damian Lillard does. Now, Damian Lillard isn't nearly the defender that Allen Iverson was, because Allen Iverson was a freak defensively, and Damian Lillard is really not that good of a defender, but the way he shoots the ball and stretches the floor is better than Allen Iverson ever did, and he's just as, he's almost, if not just as athletic as Allen Iverson, and he always plays with a chip on his shoulder. I mean, there's never been a time I've seen him not seem like he's not playing for his life. I mean, he literally plays the game like he is playing for his life. If if he loses this game, then he's going to die. I mean, he's coming on there and ready to strangle you and get this win and put 50 on you. I mean, Damian Lillard put 51 on the Warriors, who are supposedly a very good defensive team. And he put 51 on them in 31 minutes. I saw some stat that that was on a faster pace than Kobe Bryant's 81-point game. And that's just the way he plays it every single night. He's trying to put as many points on you as possible, do whatever it takes to win this game, and then he's going to go on to the next one. Because he truly feels like, just like in college when he went to Weber State, that everybody's overlooked him and everybody is counting him out. Just like they're counting out the Trailblazers and he's going to do whatever it takes for the Trailblazers to make the playoffs this year. And that's why I think that he is rightfully so the forgotten NBA star in this league. Actually, I'm afraid not rightfully so, but wrongfully so the forgotten NBA star in the league because he's a top 10 player, if not top 5 in the NBA. Now let's talk about Ben Simmons and his ineligibility for the Wooden Award and how basically college basketball... Actually, let me phrase that, how the NCAA is full of themselves and how they're strictly about money and always will be about money and how that needs to change. I'll be the first one to tell you that I absolutely hate the NCAA and what they stand for. Um, They try to say that they're just about the student-athletes when in actuality they're all about money. And uh, if anyone out there truly thinks that they're trying to better the student and not worry about money, uh, the Ben Simmons case pretty much determines that 
that's the biggest crock of shit ever. So Ben Simmons um, wasn't allowed to be a candidate for the Wooden Award, which is basically the Player of the Year Award, because he had under a 2.0 GPA. Now, that's a story in itself. I mean, I know GMs and the NBA, when he declares for the draft, are going to say, why weren't you going to class this, that, and the third? But I feel like the NCAA did nothing for him to make him accountable for not going to classes. Now, I was a college basketball player, not nearly on the level of Ben Simmons and not an NBA player or anything else or the number one prospect. But I know when you go to classes, especially when you're a basketball player or football player or baseball player, if you're the big-time athlete in your sport, everyone talks to you. Everyone um, is trying to see what you're going to do in this, that, and the third. For Ben Simmons being the number one prospect and a lot of people comparing him to you know, LeBron James and saying that his talent is so unique that many haven't seen that type of talent in such a long time that you know everyone in schools want to talk to you figure it out and you know that he's not going to want to go to class because you don't want to deal with that so how is the NCA helping him and making him want to you know better himself in school wise because I saw something that he was taking oceanology as a freshman what freshman really wants to take oceanology now, he has to be accountable and go to classes or, you know, figure out a way to do better than a 2.0. I mean, because literally if you go to class, do your homework and show up, you should get a 2.0. But if the NCAA wants to keep their title of being true student athletes, what they have to do is they have to hold kids accountable and make it that. I mean, you see so many cases of kids who transfer with good GPAs and um, good scores, but for some reason are ineligible because the NCAA chooses to, but yet they're so selective with it. I mean, look at Ben Simmons. If he truly had under a 2.0 and they knew it, and the only thing that's happening to him is making him not eligible for the Wooden Award, why wouldn't he be, why is he still eligible to play games? Why is he playing in the SEC tournament trying to get an NCAA bid? Why? Because he's the number one prospect. This is kind of like, I mean, his hype would be like, almost like um, LeBron James when he came into high school and everyone knew that he was going to be a big time pro this that, and the third but he didn't go to college NCAA finally has a one year one and done rule and they have their you know 2016 version of their LeBron James I'm not saying he's LeBron James but the hype he had going into college would have been equal to about LeBron James's level and they don't want to lose that money. I mean, LSU, I mean, LSU hasn't been relevant in basketball since Shaq days and Chris Jackson and all those guys. But with Ben Simmons there now, they want, they're getting more money from that, having people go to the games, probably having him sign things and doing all these interviews and this, that, and it's making the NCAA money. I mean, they're probably praying that somehow LSU makes the tournament because it would bring so much money because everybody would want to see that game. And even if they don't and they go to the NIT or some other tournament, I guarantee you that tournament's going to be one of the highest rated um, events watched for a college game because everybody wants to see Ben Simmons. I mean, you don't get to see a college player of that level that often. So you're going to watch him. I mean, hell, I love watching his game and watching him play. And everyone does. I mean, if you're a basketball fan, you'd love to see him game. I mean, he's a great passer. He's six foot ten. He's athletic. He's got a great vertical. He needs to work on his jump shot. I mean, I think he's personally going to be a little bit better Lamar Odom in my aspects. I mean, I could see him possibly becoming, you know, a LeBron James type if he can develop a little bit better offense game because he's a little too unselfish. But I mean, overall, I think he'll just be a better Lamar Odom, which is no knock on him. But that's off the 
um, that's off case with my statement of the NCAA is so selective. I mean, you had Taco, the freshman from uh, UCF, come in. He's got a f- had a great GPA in prep school and had really good SAT scores. But for some reason, they decided to hold him out and make him not be able to work out with his team until. And he had to go through all these cases just to get eligible, which he finally was. But it's like, why are y'all putting him through so much? you know, scrutiny and adversity just to be able to play. But yet Ben Simmons right now has an under 2.0. Everyone knows it, knows he's not qualified to be in the Wooden Award, but yet is still playing. And it all comes down to his money. And that's it. I mean, they're fooling themselves by making it seem like, oh, well, it's just an award thing. We can, He can still play because it's due to the semester and we don't do anything until after the semester's done because you can pick it up. I mean, that's foolish. I mean... Players all the time go under 2.0s who are high-name players, but they want the best players on the court because that makes them the most revenue. And the NCA, trust me, is a revenue business, and anyone who says they're not is just got their head up their ass. I mean, think about this for a second. The NCA just signed a couple years ago a billion-dollar deal just to have their games viewed. Just to have their games viewed. But yet... They think that they're a non-profit organization almost, or they try to act like they are, and they just pick and choose their battles, and they pick and choose where they want to do it, and to me, that's why I feel like the NCAA has to be ended. I mean, the only way it's going to end is if the college players, you know, some players from a championship games, or a lot of players sit out, because until then, the NCAA is going to continue to have the power and the players who are the most important are going to be the powerless i mean coaches are out here making five six million dollars a deal just to come coach these players but yet the players are having to go to practice go to class go work out go conditioning i mean it's like working a full-time job there and on top of that you have to be able to produce and if you don't oh you're going to sit and if you do stay for more than one year and you don't produce you lose you could possibly lose your scholarship and that's the only thing that can keep the NCAA from being a dictatorship is if the players basically say enough is enough. We demand to have some type of rights, insurance, money. And the simplest way that the NCAA could help it is for them to basically do the Olympic system. Let the players be able to go get their money. If somebody wants to advertise or make money, whatever, let it happen because then it's on the players. It's not in the NCAA. And that's just a simple way that I've heard of it being done. I think they should just go ahead and do it because... Eventually, it's going to cause a huge ruckus, and then it's going to come down to being even a bigger problem. Well, that's it, y'all. I appreciate you checking in on the first Raw and Uncut podcast. My Twitter handle is at Mr. Underscore K Statum to you if you'd like to follow me. And as we finish this, I'd just like to say congratulations to Peyton Manning on an amazing career and a successful run for 18 years and uh, I'm glad to see that you went out on top the way that you deserve to and I hope you enjoy retirement see y'all next week peace